Welcome to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast with me, Laura, and my lovely mum, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Together, we'll be discussing all things parenting, from education to mental health and everything in between. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast. I'm uh, Laura and this is I'm here with my mum, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Um, And we're a mother daughter duo working on a business together. And we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about kids from an education and a mental health background. So if you want to learn more about us, we suggest you check out our first episode where we talk a lot more about our backgrounds and why we're qualified to talk about this and why we decided to do the podcast in the first place. But for now, this episode is going to be about travel. Excellent. Um, So let's start off by just, let's not dive into it straight away. Why don't we talk a little bit about what we've been doing for the last week? How about you, Mum? Well, as you know, darling, I've had a really rather sad week because um, Grandad died at the weekend. And uh, we have been trying to support Grandma, who's very sad and very... And... um, I know that you've been uh, busy thinking about Mexico and I remembered something that you told me about the way that Mexican people think about death, which is that nobody dies until nobody remembers them. And when I told grandma that, she found it incredibly reassuring. And um, we've talked about it several times since then, about how granddad's still with us because he's still very much alive in our memories. And that... It's a great comfort, but but uh, what have what have you been up to? That's really nice uh, idea and concept. Um, yeah, so I've been working on Quest of Kids, um, the the business, uh, which is an educational online game for kids. Uh, by the way, everyone, if you're not sure what Quest of Kids is, again, go back to our first episode. I talk a lot about it and what it's for. Um, but I've been working on the um, Mexico Country Quest um, this week and doing all the stuff uh, to do with that. Um, designing the learning activities that are part of kids learning about Mexico. So we do have an activity about the Day of the Dead, Dia Dia de los Muertos, um, and talking about the impact of kind of Aztec culture on that, but also how death gets thought of differently. Lots of people think of Dia de los Muertos as um, Mexican Halloween. It absolutely is not. It's its own tradition, which has a really strong history and a culture. Um, So... If you want to learn more in a kid-friendly way, the film Coco is a good intro to that kind of thing. Yes. And it also really expresses that stuff that you were saying about death being something not really truly happening until someone's forgotten. So um, work on that, but also a, a bunch of other characters crop up in the um, in the learning activities. So kids meet Frida Kahlo, she's very grumpy. Wow. <laughs> and a bunch of other people, Petra Herrera, who uh, fought in the Mexican Revolution, um, Leonia uh, Vasquez Garcia, who was a, a, now let me try and get this word right, lepidopterist, which is somebody who studies butterflies, and an entomologist um, studying the cochineal beetle. So we get a little bit of science in there for kids to learn about that kind of stuff. So I've been working on that, which is always a lot of fun and lots of research goes into it, but it's quite tiring as well. So uh, it's it's been a busy week. but I guess it's good that we are we're talking about Mexico because the theme of this week is travel. Have you ever been to Mexico? 
Do you know, I haven't. And it's somewhere I'm interested to, to, to go to. Um, I'm slightly wary because it makes me think that it might not be 100% safe. But I guess, like everywhere, there are safe places and unsafe places. But I guess that's what's slightly held me back. Mm. I am desperate to go to Mexico. Really? I've been in Belize and Guatemala, neighbouring countries, but I've never been to Mexico. And I would love to do a Mexican cookery course to really like learn oh. about indigenous foods and stuff. That would just be something that I really want to do. But I don't want to go until I have like a good chunk of yeah. time to be able to go because yeah. it's such a big country. There's so much to learn. All the different regions are so incredibly different from each other. Um, I really want to make sure that if if one day when I go that I really, really do it justice. Do, do you remember that um, amazing Mexican restaurant we went to where they had that fantastic hot chocolate with chili? Yeah. Well, and also chocolate comes from Mexico originally. Wow. That's the wow. Aztecs were the first people to really kind of create and use chocolate. And in some cases, they even used it as a currency because it was so valuable. Gosh. Um, and it really moved from there to the rest of the world. So, but yeah, that hot chocolate was that hot chocolate was the best wasn't delicious it? <laughs> <laughs> and it all goes to show that neither no, although neither of us have actually been to mexico we've tasted mexico absolutely we, and learned a little bit about it yeah um so but the focus of this episode of the podcast is we're going to be talking about uh travel with kids so the the benefits of travel with kids maybe some of the not downsides but maybe some of the fears about traveling with kids and also because my background is in learning design and educating kids and um, we're also going to be talking about how to make sure that when you travel comes an educational experience that it's not just about leisure but kids are actually learning stuff from it as well um, because that's more likely for them to engage with the experience and then take it on to other aspects of their life um so should we get started what do you think the benefits of travel are for kids so i think it's really good for kids to experience things that are different from their normal everyday thing um it doesn't have to be travel to a foreign or, or a very exotic place it doesn't have to be far away just anywhere that is not your normal everyday home life uh, is is a form of travel and it helps kids to see that different people live in different ways and how interesting and exciting that is so yeah it's about learning about different ways that people do things yeah and I think that's something that you guys my parents um, did really well I mean we were incredibly privileged when I was growing up because we traveled a lot to a lot of amazing places and I know you put a lot of effort but also a lot of money into yeah. that and not everybody gets that opportunity um, so we really also want to emphasize that travel isn't just about big exotic locations it's it's really um, about experiencing different ways of doing things, which can also happen down the street from you as well. I mean, the people in the next village from here are super weird. So. <laughs> super interesting. <laughs> but it, that's really true, actually, because um, I can remember when um, your younger brother was, was little, for him, the most exciting travel we ever did was going from the place in Canberra, a lot of running and past <laughs> a uh, railway line. Yeah. And then we had to get the bus and sit on the bus. And could we get the front seat upstairs? Sometimes there were other people there. We often soon got rid of them <laughs> um, off at Trafalgar Square. And was he interested in the big buildings and the statues or the lions? Not a bit of it. What he wanted to do was he wanted to chase the pigeons. And that was what he did for about an hour, got himself completely exhausted, 
back on the bus, run back up the hill. All for the price of a bus ticket. All for the price of a bus ticket. And he had the most fun. So the other thing about travel is about taking what there is and and using that you don't have to have manufactured experiences just observing what's going on around you and doing something that perhaps isn't your every day for him we didn't go on the bus very often we didn't need to but he loved being on the bus and he thought it was really 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 exciting he was about three at the time yeah so maybe the way to think about it is about experiences not just travel travel yes. and experiences yeah. yeah i think is the uh, is the one because I also we also benefited from um, I had some pretty um, out there travel experiences. I think you sent me on a French exchange when I was about six years old uh, with, school, <laughs> with school, with school, with school. But still, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I didn't really speak very much French and I had a great time. But it was it was um, sometimes scary and uh and um pushed my boundaries i think and then you sent me off again when i was 13 to singapore and i went to school in singapore for two weeks which again was was exciting and i felt safe because i was staying with some family friends but it pushed my boundaries a lot and i learned a lot of stuff that i wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn otherwise um and uh, in case you're thinking about that with to do that with your own kids beware because they won't stop traveling um i haven't <laughs> um i ended up uh you know living in lebanon and turkey and serbia and driving to mongolia so you know travel with your kids um at your own risk because they <laughs> might end up not stopping yeah but i think it was it was very interesting actually when you came back from that trip to france and i think it was with school and you were with teachers who you I'm loved safe. and trusted. You were completely safe. But I remember about a week after you got back, we we went, we were somewhere, maybe a shopping centre, and we went to the loo and you started to leave the, 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 the loo having left your jumper on the side and got into a complete panic, which I'd never seen you do. And I realised that what you'd had to do while you were away was take complete responsibility for keeping your stuff where you could keep an eye on it instead of relying on you. And, but I also knew that you did with another family along with a, with another of your friends. You went into a French classroom. You did the journey. I mean, it was a brilliant, yeah. brilliant The thing experience. I remember being the most shocking was they had different things for breakfast. And that was absolutely wild to me. Absolutely yeah. wild. And we could choose how much sugar we put in our hot chocolate in the morning and that was absolutely just blew my mind because um, people do things differently and it's okay and it's fine um, and i ended up only taking two cubes of sugar so it was fine um but so um one of the things that i want to talk about because obviously it's my kind of concern i'm a learning designer i make educational materials for kids and i'm working at the moment on quest to kids which is an educational game about different cultures is how when we're traveling or, or having new experiences with kids, what are some of the ways in which you can kind of make sure it's also educational, that kids are learning stuff as well? Of course, kids are learning all the time, but there are some things that you can do to kind of to to make it a little extra. Um, so one of the things that I remember you doing, we actually talked about this in the first podcast as well, but we went on a big trip to uh, Jamaica when I was six because that's where granddad lived and it's where auntie sarah was born um but beforehand dad made this like 
I don't know if it was like a worksheet or a quiz um, with lots of questions about Jamaica. And my job was to go to the library. Well, you took me to the library um, and do research about um, uh, about different things about Jamaica. So what the capital city was, uh, draw out the flag. Who's this Bob Marley bloke? Um, and it was really, really helpful for me to, in one way, kind of prepare psychologically for the fact that we were going traveling. Also, once we arrived to have a kind of idea of where we were, what was going on. And there were things that I recognized. So I'd see the Jamaican flag and I kind of recognized it. Um, and it's meant that I suspect the holiday would have stuck in my head anyway, stuck in my memory anyway. But it really helped to solidify it within a broader scheme of knowledge. So I would say when you're taking kids on on trips, spend a little time preparing. It doesn't have to be you know, a quiz or worksheets, but spend a little time talking about talking to kids about what they're going to see, um, some of the people that they might meet, some of the jobs that people might do, um, maybe show them a little bit. So you're not just popping up in a brand new place, but you're kind of introducing them to the context a bit. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's really it's really helpful. And I remember I do remember when you were at school learning French, one of the things that uh, the, the, you did in a class, which was brilliant, was that you had a menu for uh, a French restaurant, mm. and you all had to you had to think about what you wanted and order as a practice. So you were practicing your French, but you were also practicing making choices and practicing, you know, communicating with with an unknown adult, and that sort of thing is 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 is, is really good. And to to adults. You know, ordering a meal in a restaurant while you're away may be an unusual thing to do, yeah. but you can turn it into an experience where you you think about, okay, I want a glass of orange juice. How do I recognise that on the menu? How do I, you know, and every single little aspect can turn into something where you stimulate children's curiosity and their interest, and also teach them a skill. You know, make them feel like they've they've really learned something. Well, it also goes back to what we were talking about in the first uh, episode of the podcast about confidence. Yeah. Because I remember you and dad, if we went to France, you and dad would make me sometimes do the order, yeah. which was pretty terrifying. Sorry, but... <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> I mean, look at how well I can order in French now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would, I would say, um, you know, obviously people are busy, but like if you have some time to, to think about where you're going with kids, it really helps to solidify that experience, helps them to remember it and helps and recognize things when they're there which is all about laying the groundwork the foundations of learning once they're there um, and looking at maps is a really really good thing that you can do that doesn't just have to be country maps it can also be city maps or say you're going to the natural history museum you can they have maps on their website you can print it out and say here are some of the exhibits what what do you want to see you know what are some of the things that you want to see um, look at you know here's the cafe um, here are the toilets. Um, here's the gift shop. Here's the gift shop. They're absolutely crucial bits. But, you know, here are the uh, saber-toothed tigers and all the other things. It really helps to also build anticipation for kids as well. Um, so maps are a really good one, really, really easy. The other thing I would say is um, to help make a trip more educational, get kids involved and excited, is let them make some choices. So say you know that you're going on a trip to Iceland especially with older kids, you can say, okay, do some research. What are some of the things that you want to see in Iceland? Do you want to see volcanoes? Do you want to see Icelandic ponies? Do you want to see whales? And of course, not all of that stuff is going to be possible. But if you give kids a little bit of choice, 
and some options and get them to really involve themselves in part of the planning you can really um yeah get them excited about things and learning without even recognizing that they're doing that yeah and i think i think you can also model uh experiencing things that are not familiar to you so you know even if you for example go on a family holiday to cornwall you need to sort of be prepared to go and eat crab or mm. you know try out what else what else go surfing go surfing yes yeah. although do you... maybe don't do that because my dad just broke his finger surfing in new zealand <laughs> so maybe don't do that one <laughs> but but you know get get the kids to choose something that they're interested in and then you join in with them and yeah. and and uh, turn it into a family family learning a family experience yeah. yeah, absolutely. And from a, just from a learning perspective, doing those research tasks in a guided way is really, really helpful for make, helping to build them into independent learners and independent learning skills is something I'm sure we're going to cover on the podcast in the future. But it's something that's really, really crucial for kids, giving them some ownership over what they feel like they can learn. Um, the other thing that I would say is make sure you link to the point that you made, get out in, in, in the culture a bit and do some things that you're um, that you're where you're kind of pushing the risk taking of kids as well, like getting them to talk to waiters, like doing the surfing, that kind of thing. The other thing that I would say is talk about things with kids. You know, you can constantly be talking about things that you've seen. Are they the different? Are they different compared to home? Are they the same as at home? What was that language that you just heard? What is that? Um, Do you know, it's so interesting you talk about that, Laura, because I can remember arriving um, in uh must have been madeira i think we we went there just before is this the frog story no it's not the frog story oh, okay. i'm not going to tell the frog story that's too <laughs> terrible no 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 it's the story of being in the car and we were already we sorry in a taxi we were already tired after quite a long flight and we still had to get to the place where we were staying and i could feel um our middle child oh sorry actually he was our youngest at the time because it was just before the youngest one was born um the third one was born and and I suddenly hit on this idea of how do you know we're not in England mm. uh, I don't know if you remember that vaguely yeah and I, I the, the this our son came up with this amazing thing where he suddenly said the traffic lights are different <laughs> and I said what are they <laughs> in what way tell me tell me what way and he said they go red orange green orange red and there's no red and orange bit in the middle which is would be the norm here and I couldn't believe that he'd noticed such a tiny little detail which I hadn't seen mm. um and he but that's how he knew that we weren't in England and yeah. small things like post boxes being different colors exactly, is something exactly. that kids can really notice and you can and relate talk to. about those things and yeah um yeah really really fun so one of the things that we actually didn't do when i was growing up but it's something that i now do with my husband when we travel is we do at the end of the day we try to do a high point and a low point okay and if there's not if we don't feel like doing a high point and a low point we sometimes do what have we learned today so what's something that we've learned or noticed that day um that that you know that is interesting or that we think that the other person should learn and that's a really good way to get kids thinking critically a little bit about what what they're seeing and analyzing their experiences a little bit rather than just kind of in one ear out the other ear yeah. nothing sticks around in the memory yeah. box the, the the other bit that i remember was teaching uh i remember it particularly with our with our very youngest our third child um teaching about serendipity 
And and he looked at me with a very puzzled expression <laughs> on his face when I said, we're going to learn about serendipity. But what I mean by that is sometimes it's a good idea not to have a plan, mm. but just to see what comes along. And I can't even remember where we were. We Maybe we were in York or somewhere like that. But we were wandering around. He said, where are we going? And I said, I don't know. Let's see what we find. And just waiting because you'll spot something you'll spot a shop selling something that you've never seen before um or you'll see a building that looks different or you'll notice somebody wearing a funny hat or something will come up and sometimes you've just got to wait knowing that something fun and interesting will come along and you've just got to be looking out for it so yeah. the the non-planned stuff can be as helpful as interesting as the as the stuff that you prepare re- in in great detail absolutely yeah um but Another couple of things, sorry, no, 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 that okay. I would say for education were um, just make sure that you're really embracing different, different learning options. So videos are a great thing. Audio books are a great thing. Books, sort of nonfiction and then also fiction books yeah. are a really great way for kids to learn a little bit more about a country. And that doesn't have to be while you're in the country. It can be beforehand. It can be afterwards. There's a lot of resources available um for that are aimed specifically at kids so i would say really take advantage of those um and and then then the learning can carry on once you come back home as well um you know it really helping kids to make sense of the experience by keeping them a little bit immersed in that culture and talking about things and and talking about it with other people i mean some schools sometimes do like a sort of show and tell thing for summer holidays um and what kids have done and that's a really great way to get them not just having the experience themselves, but being able to communicate it to other people is a really, really important skill that's going to be useful later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do remember occasionally we would keep a little scrapbook. Oh, yeah, we would, scrapbooks are good. We would put in things like the wrappers from uh, from sugar yeah, uh, or a menu or a bus ticket. Yeah. You know, nothing, nothing particularly dramatic, but just this is this is different. This is interesting. And this also, you know, is a thing that we did. And then we could we didn't look at them for very long but you know in the next couple of months we would we would talk about them maybe show other members of the family or doting mm. grandparents are always yeah. a good audience <laughs> for that sort of thing suckers for that kind of thing <laughs> yeah but but it seems to me that some some parents are not entirely confident about traveling with children mm. i think there's a lot of fears or anxieties about travel with kids both small scale stuff and and the bigger kind of more exotic trips as well yeah um should we should we talk about what some of those fears are and then you can give a sort of um a bit of a mental health spin on them and uh yeah, <laughs> maybe strategies. just a maybe just a parenting spin on <laughs> yeah, it. yeah that's true <laughs> um so i think one of the big fears that parents have are about the the logistical side and particularly the transport about kids having tantrums or or unacceptable behavior while you're in a place that you're not used to you can't just whip them off home and have the tantrum in private but you it's you know they're turning it up to 11 on a flight or or in a public square or a cafe um, and people worry about judgment by other parents or dirty looks um what would you say about that so i think the first thing is that tantrums and unacceptable behavior are sometimes entirely predictable. So if your child is tired or hungry or bewildered or stressed um, or overwhelmed, they are more likely to do those things. So the first bit is to is to try to anticipate 
and avoid getting into a situation where they're overtired or they need something to eat. Um, and that, that may involve just cutting down on what you do. Uh, it may involve having, for example, some food or some entertainment or, or whatever with you. Um, the second thing is you know your child. So you know some children are more volatile than others and if you suspect that your choice or can you remember yeah. and if we chewed them we weren't allowed another one <laughs> on a plane or, or whatever maybe scale back, um your ambition your ambition and this you know maybe take them somewhere which doesn't involve oh i remember you used to what well, before we went somewhere where we had to take malaria pills you used to make us swallow smarties <laughs> <laughs> yes because um, you needed to be able to swallow yeah. the anti-malarial yes, pills exactly, exactly exactly um so i think i think you know, doing some practicing, exposing them to slightly unfamiliar regularly. Yeah, don't just start off by, by with a big flying trip. them up to Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is that sometimes, a bit like tantrums and unacceptable behaviour and the like, in any situation, I think you've got to get a thick skin because, yeah. you know, we've all been kids and people who make judgments or give you dirty looks or make comments... That's just a completely inappropriate reaction. What they should be doing is, or thinking is, what can I do to help? And if they're not, then maybe you need to help them understand that perhaps they could give you a hand. They could maybe take, you know, the child and play a game with them or just be a little bit tolerant. Being cross and irritated by, by children is just not okay in my book. Yeah. And, um, and it also happens all across the world. Yeah. There's, you know, the behaviour that you get in... in Responses that you get from people in Peru is also what you're going to get in in England. So yeah, yeah you know yeah. that's actually that's a that's a parenting fear and anxiety, not necessarily a travel one. Although you know airplanes can be hellacious spaces. They can, <laughs> they can, they but they can. don't last forever. No, there's a no. limit on that on that kerosene. So and and actually, one tip about a flight is that if you have a child who is stressed. The best time for them to fall asleep is at takeoff because mm. the cabin pressure drops slightly and quite often even even the most angry, upset child will actually fall it's asleep during takeoff and just let them sleep. You know, if they if you've got a long flight, don't even, wake them up for meals. Don't just... wake them up for meals, exactly. <laughs> don't don't disturb them. Don't poke the um don't poke the serpent. Just <laughs> let them rest when they can rest. Um and and if they scream, have some stuff ready for them. But, you know, they will stop and they <laughs> won't be scarred for life. And neither will anyone else on your flight or your bus or your train. Um, yeah, they just sometimes we'll all get over it. We'll all get over it. It will all be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So the other one, I think, is is getting out of sync, lack of a routine, which kind of can lead to tantrums yeah. as well. I kind of linked to the first one. Yeah. That's that's interesting, actually, because if you think about what the routines are, there are actually just a few bits of scaffolding that you can always have in place. So regular meals, regular sleep and trying to preserve as much of your routines as you would normally do. So if you're you know, if your evening routine is supper, bath. a bath, quiet time, story, bed, try to recreate that even though you're in an unfamiliar place. Yeah. Um, you know, just because you're on holiday, they need those scaffolding pieces in place. But as long as you've got a few of them in position, everything else will... You don't will, have to have all of them. You don't have to have all of them. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, sometimes 
you know that sometimes there is an issue about unfamiliar food yeah um i have a brother who um required us to return from a family holiday because we couldn't <laughs> find uncle d or uncle j uncle j <laughs> Uh, because we didn't have, we couldn't get hold of exactly the right sort of baked beans, and he, and that was all he ate, and he absolutely refused for four days to eat anything else, and screamed. And in the end, we had to give in, or my parents gave in, and we returned home. <laughs> So, so I would say in that scenario, if you know that that's something that's going to be an issue for your kid, take some baked beans with you. <laughs> yes. yeah. Or whatever it is. But, you know, lots of lots of places you can get hold of bread, you can get hold of pasta, you can get hold of things that are vaguely familiar. And if they don't eat the perfect balanced diet for a week... It doesn't matter. And that's the same for adults as well. I spent six weeks in Georgia and I'm vegetarian. And the only thing I could find to eat, well, Georgia, the country, not the state. The only thing I could find to eat was this thing called kachapuri, which is cheese pie. And after about three days of cheese pie, <laughs> I couldn't stand any more. So I just ate apples and peanut butter for the rest of the trip. Yeah. And I was fine. Yeah. I was fine. Yeah. I think my toenails got a little <laughs> grotty around the edges, but I was completely fine. Um, and same for kids. You know, if yeah. they have to live off apples and peanut butter, they'll live off apples and peanut butter. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, oh, sorry, so, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say that the other thing, so... Getting out of sync is also about working out how you're going to manage things. And I think I think you do, to some extent, have to have a plan. Yeah. You know, you, you have to... It's different to travelling as an adult, yeah. where you can just sort of, you know... Go with the flow. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And wander yeah. around as much as you want on a dime and, and not eat till four in the afternoon and then not have suppositions of what a holiday is going to be. Yeah, yeah. And and you, you won't be able to spend your day in an art gallery if no. that's what you love to do um, because that's not what children like to do. So you might manage an hour or so in an art gallery mm -hmm. and then an hour in the park. And we're going to have tips on a later podcast episode about keeping kids occupied, interested and engaged in museums and art galleries. So keep an eye open for that one. But yeah, you know, once you're pushing past an hour, you're really pushing yeah. the limits of yeah, kids' exactly, attention. Exactly. And and you know, there's there's also something about remembering that you don't have to do like if you go to the Louvre in Paris, you don't have to see every single gallery and every single painting. Yeah. If your child finds something that is interesting and you sit in front of it for 20 minutes, you've done really, really, yeah. really well. <laughs> so I can remember taking Johnny to the National Portrait Gallery and the two of us sitting in front of a picture of a man fishing. But he was fishing, sitting in his chair in his, in his living room with his feet in a barrel because he had gout. But he still had his fishing rod and he was still trying to fish in this barrel and the only thing in the barrel were his own feet because he had gout and the two of us sitting and discussing the absurdity of this this was a sort of 19th century painter painting it wasn't it wasn't a modern painting and we didn't see any other pictures but we had a fantastic time we yeah. really really enjoyed ourselves um yeah that's a really really good one yeah. Um, so then there's also there's some bit more serious kind of fears and anxieties. Kids getting sick is one. Yeah. Um, which is a which is a is a, is a risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think there are some mitigation strategies that you can take. Um, first aid kits. Yes. I mean, important. so so my mum Ruth is also a medic. So give us your put on the medic hat. Okay. Um, okay. So so 
think about the things that happen commonly. That's what you need to be prepared for. The temperatures, colds, yeah. cuts, grazes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and plan and be prepared for those things. So, you know, at home you've probably got stuff that you need. You've probably got some some paracetamol, you've got plasters, you've got a thermometer. Um, take those with you. You don't have to take masses, but just think about all the things that happen commonly with kids. And that you don't want to have to run out and get in, exactly. a, in a pinch. Exactly. And and just have a little pack and, you know, even have that ready, um, you know, for, for the next holiday. The sorts of things that are really, really, really helpful. I mean, it's so important to keep children hydrated. It's so mm -hmm. important to keep all of us hydrated. And if you're in a place where you're eating regularly... Uh, or if it's very hot and your child gets a fever, they are going to get dehydrated more quickly. So have next to your child if they're not feeling very well and just keep fluids going into them. Um, I remember getting really sick in uh, Brazil. Do you remember that? Yeah, I and do. I got so, such a high fever, I was delirious. And yep. I thought Nazis were marching into my bedroom and shouting at me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and, I, and we didn't need to go to hospital. No, but it was a bit scary. And I do recognise that I knew you didn't need to go to hospital because I knew you had a temperature and what I had to do was get your temperature down in the way that you would get any child's temperature down under any circumstances and in any place. Um, but I can see that that's a bit more scary. Yeah. Um, but, but even if you do find something happening which you feel merits some sort of medical attention, there are always health services nearby. So if you're staying in a hotel or... Um, you Ask know, them, they will help you. Exactly, exactly. And if you're completely on your own, go to a local restaurant, find somebody who, who speaks English, tell them what's happening. Pharmacies, for example, in the rest of Europe are brilliant. <laughs> I remember when I moved to Turkey. Do you remember this story? Somebody had broken a glass in my, my new apartment I just moved into. Somebody had broken a glass in the sink and hadn't moved all, taken all the bits of glass out. And I uh, was trying to clear out the plug and I cut my finger, not really badly, like didn't need stitches, but there was a lot of blood. There was a lot of blood. And I just panicked and I got wrapped a tea towel around my hand and I ran <laughs> down the street to the pharmacy. At that point, I didn't speak any Turkish, crying. And I ran in and just went, ah! <laughs> And these lovely ladies in the pharmacy Sorted just took control, they wiped the tears away, they bandaged up my hand, they sent me back on my way absolutely calmly and I didn't speak a word of Turkish, they didn't speak a word of English and it was totally fine. Yeah. Uh, and they were so helpful and so charming. So, you know, it, off, there, there are people who will help you with, with things and they recognise that it's scary when there are kids around. The other thing that I would say is an absolute must and I will argue this till the day I die is travel insurance. I have been the uh, first-hand or second-hand recipient of life-saving uh, treatment um, that was fully paid for by travel insurance. I think it ended up costing, what, 1.5 million euros. Really? Yeah. Really? Um, oh so do not skimp on your travel insurance. It can it can save your life. It can save your budget. <laughs> it's just, just don't muck about with travel yeah, insurance. Yeah. So always get travel insurance and make sure your kids are covered as well. Um, and that and that means that you then have the reassurance of knowing that you can get medical help, the best medical help and the help that you need without having to worry. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Know? And that's really, really crucial. Um, so there are some other other things um, that I think there are there are some good solutions to, but sometimes traveling with kids who maybe have stimulation issues or maybe on the autism spectrum, what are some things that you can help them kind of transition with the change and also deal with the practical sides of things? So, yeah, and I also think of... Um, you know, I also think of children who are very active. Yeah, very, maybe, yeah, with sort of attention deficit issues. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think the thing is, use what you know about your child. So um, the more familiar what happens is, the more, you know, the better they will be able to cope. So, so things like if you're going to make a flight, talk about what happens. Mm. You know, talk about the process of arriving at the airport having to you know go and get your boarding pass giving your luggage um uh you know over to the airline and they you see it disappearing um you know going through security all of these things that we know how your ears might pop how your ears might pop exactly you know what an airline meal might look like how you don't (laughs) have any choice but it's great and it doesn't matter because we'll be there soon the more you can anticipate these things and prepare and look at pictures and talk about it, um, the easier it is for your child to not be spooked by things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, for example, that they need to have a particular thing with them or there is an activity, a game, a, you know, some sort of yeah. entertainment. If you can use technology to your benefit, yeah. iPads, noise cancelling, headphones all of that stuff yeah yeah and and they're often the things that you already know but just be extra prepared and extra careful um and of course you know if if you've got if your child is somebody who struggles when things are um things are unfamiliar just be modest in what you try and do don't don't overdo it with them Mm. so don't not travel but just you know modify what your thoughts are to fit in with them so you know um again our my son um was someone who did struggle with making sense of things that were different but there were certain certain things that were really 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 passionate for him so so at one stage he was he was completely obsessed by frogs <laughs> and if you could tie what we were doing with frogs then suddenly he lit up like a firework he lit up like a firework in a good way you know he was interested and exciting excited by it but but equally it allowed him to sort of manage some of his some of his anxieties about about the stuff that we were going to have to do in order to be able to get to the place where we were going to see the frogs maybe you know i remember going to the natural history museum with him and you know we put up with going on the tube and you know all the other stuff that was involved in it because he knew that's where we were going and Mm. and he really really wanted to uh to, to to get there um you know if you have if your child needs extra help uh for example if they've got mobility issues then make sure you get that planned and organized before you before you go yeah. and you know airlines and buses and trains are obliged you i'm it's sure it's their responsibility exactly, exactly and museums and and places as well museums uh you know kids anything that's kid-centric and friendly should be should be accessible uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's their responsibility to help you with that and lots of places are extremely obliging yeah and friendly and charming um so take advantage of it yeah yeah so we used to when when um laura and her brother were very small we spent a lot of time in the horniman museum <laughs> and um he used to like to he did a lot of running around and what was brilliant was that 
they just didn't mind because all the exhibits were behind glass so there was nothing he could do to damage them and he wasn't actually doing any harm he was a little bit noisy and a little bit overactive if you weren't used to it but actually the staff were brilliant and that would be my place to go. Don't choose somewhere where you know people are going to be anxious about Ming vases that are going to get knocked over if you've got a kid who yeah. runs at the speed of lightning. Speaking of that, do you remember taking him to the Transport Museum? I do remember. Do you remember that? No, you tell me I'll the story. Tell, I'll tell the story. Uh, we took him to the London Transport Museum, which is a fantastic museum, and in the back, I don't know if they've still got it, but there's out in the outdoor space, there's a little, like a train that kids can ride. Right? Yeah. I'm not sure how he managed it, but he shut the door of one end of the tunnel, which they close at night, and the train driver didn't notice. So he got on the train and drove the train set off and then proceeded to crash into the door. The train tipped over. Um, and all the kids were screaming and crying and, you know, being very upset. At which point Johnny, before anyone could catch him, jumped up ran and they've got this beautiful sort of glass conservatory where the cafe is and immediately chased a pigeon <laughs> chased a pigeon into the conservatory and then proceeded to chase this terrified pigeon around this conservatory with all these lovely families and elderly people having their scones with the pigeons uh you know doing their business all over the place it was a very stressful day i remember and do you know what Johnny was fine. Yeah, he was. He had the most fine. wonderful time. Yeah. He really, really, really yeah. enjoyed himself. So, yeah. But that was one of those, definitely one of those judgment by others moments, I <laughs> <Yes>. think. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, um, one of the other things that comes up when, um, you know, when I uh, talk to, to families about traveling with kids is that they talk about how expensive it is to do anything with children. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a real barrier that is, it is a real, real barrier. barrier and i would say you can't totally mitigate mitigate the cost especially for big trips but i would say look for um there are lots of places where there are groups there's great facebook groups um that like will offer often offer discounts and ways that you can do things particularly within the uk in a slightly cheaper way that can be really, really helpful. So do keep an eye out for those discounts because yeah. some of them can really, really make it worth it. Um, and again, you know, you don't have to think of travel as this big, big exotic thing. Um, you know, travel can be can be much smaller scale and still be incredibly beneficial to children educationally and you know socially confidence wise so do you i don't know if you remember laura but when benny was little he used to go into school and announce that he'd been to disneyland again oh yes <laughs> and actually we'd been to norwich and we'd been to the disney shop and he believed that the disney <laughs> shop was in fact disneyland and that was fine because I didn't particularly want to have to take him to Disneyland. <laughs> and he had the greatest fun and he wandered around and he found all these, um, you know, toys that were related to saw films. Mickey Mouse. He saw Mickey Mouse. Exactly. Stuffed toy form. And, and that was fine. And he didn't realise, and perhaps he does now. I mean, he's in his, <laughs> he's in his late 20s now, but I'm sure he realises that he's never been to Disneyland. But as a little boy, he believed that's where he'd gone and he had the best fun ever. 
Um, so strategic lying is good for kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also resisting some of the commercialization because there is an idea that you can only have fun yeah, if you go to Disneyland. Is exactly. It X, must y, involve a ticket to a large theme park. You know, you have to have a very expensive lunch and it can it can cost hundreds of pounds. And I'm not sure that it's actually more fun for the child. Yeah. A lot of the small museums yeah, they're are, are cheap or free. Um, and they, they you, kids get incredible fun out of them. We used to go to, the, I don't know if it cost, but we used to go to the Tyvee Valley Railroad. Do you remember that? Yeah, it did cost. It, it did, did cost, cost but where, it wasn't very much. No, where they had steam trains. And we would spend hours and hours on the steam trains yeah, uh, and at yeah. the playground. And, you know, I'm sure it didn't cost very much. And we'd just bring a packed lunch. Yep. Um, yeah. And and actually, you could get off. The, there was a little railway line that you could go on. And you could get off, and there was a place called, what was it called, Forest Stop? Something like that. And there was a, a little outdoor sort of amphitheater that mm. was just made out of, you know, just in the in the hillside. And I can remember having... Uh, having picnic lunches there and you and, and the boys putting on a show. Yeah. And we would spend hours there. And then afterwards, we would have... We had a story about the, the different trains and there was one Sammy called... Sammy and Alan George. Sammy and Alan George, exactly. And the story always ended up... It was always an explanation as to why Sammy was pulling the train today. He was the diesel <laughs> engine and not Alan George, who was the steam engine, who obviously wasn't taken out very often because he was... Too uh, big. He was too big and, and quite elderly. And, um, and the explanation always involved a spanner in the works. And that yes. used to produce <laughs> howls and giggles. <laughs> when there was a spanner in the works and yeah that was well, the end know, of the actually, story just not yesterday the day before i was at ealing broadway station and a steam train came no, past no. and the smell the smell of the steam which absolutely hideous but <laughs> took me back to the tyvee valley railroad amazing, really really amazing. strong memory of that yeah but um, it's a tiny little place and we used to go there over and over and over again and in some ways the joy was in the familiarity of it mm. that you knew what there was you knew that there was the funny little tea shop and the place where you could buy secondhand books and the slide that used to burn your bum yeah exactly yeah. exactly exactly but that was actually part of the fun so you don't even have to do something new sometimes the the familiar is as much fun yeah. as anything else yeah yeah well, that ended up being a pretty uh, full episode um, yeah. with lots of stories. I hope your brothers are going to forgive me. <laughs> I think I think they will. Um, but I think it's really interesting to think about travel from the different perspectives. Um, obviously, there's there's a whole bunch of kind of practical issues that come up. Then there's how travel can be used for education, and then there's just a lot of fears and anxieties and concerns that pop up as well. All of which can be managed. Um, but it, I, I would say it's really important to just think about all this stuff in advance so it doesn't sneak up on you. Yeah. And, and practice with little things. Yeah. Yeah. Practice, do the small stuff first and yeah. then uh, yeah. you can move on to the bigger stuff rather than just jumping in at the deep end and expecting everybody to, yeah, to be fine. deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now it's time for the uh, Q&A um, section and we've got our first listener question wow um so i'm going to read it out okay now uh, we can answer. i think it's for both of us so uh, answer this is from maddie 
It says, hi, Laura and Ruth. I really enjoyed your first episode talking about confidence. As the mother of a daughter, one of my parenting fears is navigating the difficult teenage years and how to handle the inevitable butting of heads and disagreements. I don't want my daughter to hate me, but I also know I will need to set boundaries for her own good. What would you both suggest? Thanks, Maddie. Well, that's an interesting one. I mean, I guess I'm the only one who has had a teenage daughter. Yeah. But you've recently been. I've recently been. Well, not that recently. No, not that recently. Um, Shall I start? And then you say, or maybe do you want to say what you've, how you found it being a teenage daughter? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that we had a particularly fractious relationship when I was a teenager. There were a couple of times when we, a couple of big arguments, I remember. One or two big arguments, I remember. And then the rest of the time, I think there was a scratchiness. Yeah. Um, because part of being a teenager is you're working out what your boundaries are going to be when you're an adult and what's the stuff that you don't want your parents involved in and what's the stuff where actually maybe you do still need a little bit of advice, but you don't want to ask for it. Um, and um, I, I remember sometimes being a bit scratchy with you and you were very actually very patient with me, I think. <laughs> But I, I don't think that we really had a, a kind of mean or nasty butting of heads at any point. Whereas I have observed that with some of my mm. friends and their mums. So, you know, it definitely happens. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's interesting because I, I actually think that by the time you reach the teenage years, you need to feel confident enough in your own parenting to let them try things out for themselves. You know, if you haven't taught them the basics of how to keep themselves safe, how to make sensible decisions by the time they're 13 or 14, um, you know, that's a different, that's a different worry. And that really people should be more confident in their parenting, which is actually what has went, what goes on before you get to the teenage years. Um, and, And the other thing is that, it just seems really important to keep the door open to, you know, to have conversations, to not get to a situation where there are things that you can't talk about. Mm-hmm. And and I remember that for you, you clearly sometimes felt intruded on by my interest in what you'd been up to. And I learned to not ask you, but to wait, because eventually you would tell me if there were things that were on your mind. So... So I would be clearly in listening mode, but I wouldn't question you and sort of harangue you for details and information, but wait more weighted, you know, with a space in front of us that you could say something or not say anything if you if you didn't feel like it. And that seemed to work for you. Yeah, and I think I, I still knew that you were waiting <laughs> yeah. for information, but I, I also didn't, uh, you know, I didn't feel like I had to give in to it. And if, if, if I could be the one who approached you and told you things rather than feeling like I was being interrogated, it went much better. And of course, I think that's going to be different for everyone because I'm also quite introverted. So yeah. I often feel like people are invading my space anyway and I need them to back out. And of course, the person that you can be most honest about that with is your mum. So I think I was probably ruder to you than I would have been to anybody else. And I wanted to be as rude to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because I knew that you were a safe space and you weren't going to hate me if I told you to leave me alone. Yeah. And, and, and of course, that was that was true. And I think, you know, just having having the confidence that your child will tell you when it's the right time for them uh, just stops you from 
feeling anxious and pursuing them and also making sure that those op- there's opportunities for those things to yeah. occur naturally if yeah. you're not if you don't have any time yeah and, and you don't provide any kind of shared space for shared activities or, or just chatting then it's really hard yeah. for it would be really hard for a teenager to approach their parent and be like a, I need you to pay attention to me, and B, the thing I need you to pay me attention about is really, really serious and scary and contentious, and I don't mm. know how to start it. That's two risks you're asking them to take instead of just one. And and actually, the thing about boundaries, in a way, the you know, you've taught your kids about boundaries before they get to teenage years, and of course, there are different different challenges, different potential dangers, and. The thing that I remember was one day when you were, when we were coming home from school, you said to me, oh, sorry, this was on our way to the bus to go to school. You said, I'm not coming home tonight uh, until later. And I said, what time? And you said you didn't know. And what emerged in the subsequent conversation was that you were proposing to go to the local park to drink (laughs) vodka (laughs) with some of your friends. Which I did do, yeah. And... And the temptation, the trap that was you were laying out for me was for me to lose my temper and tell you you couldn't do it. And I didn't say that. I just said, oh, have you got an umbrella? And you said, why? And I said, oh, I think it's going to rain this afternoon. So be careful because you might get a bit miserable in the park, um, even if you are drinking vodka in the rain. And, um, you know, and of course it will be dark, but don't worry. Would you like me to pick you up from school or should I pick you up from the park? And I just treated it as if it was just a completely normal thing, even though I was quite alarmed at the what you were proposing. And by the time we got to the bus stop, you said, I should just pick me up at the normal time, mum. And that was the end of it. Yeah. And it allowed me the space to be able to make the decision in a way that felt supported. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and that's another thing that I would say that I think made a big difference to to me is something I remember you and dad saying to me really strongly. If you ever are in trouble, if you're drunk, if you've tried drugs, anything that's happened, call us. We will pick you up and we won't, you know, it's not going to be a massive argument or a fight or we're not going to tell you off. I mean, I imagine you probably would have told me off later. But, you know, that it that if it's a safety situation, call us, Always we'll call be us. there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that's really important. And I think lots of parents, I've, I've noticed my friends, I know that's what the parents mean, but because they don't say it explicitly to their kids, the kids often don't feel like they can yeah. do that. Yeah. Or they feel they're going to get a bollocking or whatever. Um, and it really that's the bit where things can get dangerous to me is if people don't feel like they've got an adult where they can ring up and say actually I'm in an awful situation you have to come and pick me up right now yeah and I I can remember you telling me stories of friends of yours who were really engaging engaging in some quite dangerous behavior Mm -hmm. but it was part of a pattern of them being very secretive with their parents yeah and their parents being very judgmental about what they wanted to be doing. And it always seemed to me that as long as you knew that there was a safe place at home with us and that we would come and fish you out of whatever muddle you got yourself into without any questions at all, then that would make you much safer. Mm. And and it was, uh, it was about you making choices. Yeah. Having yeah. the space to make your own choices. And I think there's also something about, this is something that you've talked to me about before in a different context with people who are in a mental health crisis. 
of saying people tend to match their energy to your energy. So if you stay calm, they will stay calm. And something that I see happen with parents and teenagers sometimes is kid says something, maybe they're testing a boundary, maybe they don't really mean it. And the parents anxiety goes through the roof. And and then the kids anxiety goes through the roof and you get this very hostile communication. Yeah, exactly. That just escalates and escalates and escalates. And actually, the kid wasn't necessarily going to do anything anyway. <laughs> um, it, it just engenders this hysterical response in everyone. And then nobody's listening to anyone. Nobody's thinking clearly. They're just getting into that, the, almost like a toddler-like thing of, you're not going to tell me what to do. Yes, I am. And and yeah, and there's not actually any real decision-making going on. It's just default. Yeah. yeah. You're not the boss of me. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's quite, difficult if your child is doing something that really does frighten and alarm you um it is really hard to stay calm yeah I'm really sure. really hard I'm sure. and you know it's all very well to be super confident and say just be calm but sometimes it you know but no, you know but that's the goal to work towards. that's the goal to work towards and actually you know your friends your family your partner other people in 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 your life can help you try and get things into perspective um, you know, I can remember I can remember Johnny saying to me one day, it's a dirty coffee cup, mum, <laughs> as a way of making me see that I was making a bit of a ridiculous fuss about something that didn't really matter. I mean, there was mould growing inside this dirty oh. coffee cup. But the point was, it was just a it was just a cup. Yeah. And it would all get itself sorted out in the dishwasher. So the hmm. other thing that I would say, just as a practical point, try really, really hard not to judge or make comments about your child's friends yes yes um, because it just doesn't work it just doesn't work you might see all sorts of things but to to that to your child their friends are their sort of almost like a sort of practice second family that they're building and testing out relationships with and if you interfere with that or try and influence them it, it's not it's not going to work that, that all that's going to happen is that your child is going to end up trusting you less um, yeah. And, and actually the best, if you really are worried about somebody that your child is friendly with. Oh, yeah. You've done this before. Haven't yeah. You? <laughs> encourage them to spend as much time as possible in your home. Don't ever say anything. In the end, your child will work out that your values and this other person's values are just not the same. You don't have to say anything. You just demonstrate it and they work it out eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Brilliant. Okay, I think that's it. Well, so that is uh, basically we've come to the end of uh, the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast. If you have uh, any questions, observations, experiences uh, that you want to share with us or suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future, we would really, really love to hear them. Um, the best way to contact us is through social media um, at Let's Talk About Parenting on Instagram or on Facebook. Just drop us questions and uh, we will try and answer them on the next few podcasts. Um, So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much. And we'll be back soon. Bye. Bye, everyone. The Let's Talk About Parenting podcast is sponsored by Questa Kids, an online educational game for kids aged 7 to 12. Questa Kids follows Questa and Zeke on a journey around the world, travelling through time, and teaches children about geography, history, maths, culture, and plenty more. Questa Kids makes learning fun. 
So sign up today at questakids.com for a free 30-day trial. You can also get 15% off with the code LET'S TALK ABOUT.